We've had people say, my story is too messy. We've messed up too much. And we will come back and we'll say, no perfect people allowed and you are not too far gone. From the Family Life Podcast Network, this is Family Life Blended. I'm Ron Deal. This donor-supported podcast brings together timeless wisdom and practical help and hope to blended families and those who love them. I'm so glad you've joined us in this journey. Welcome to episode number 49, Blended Kingdom Families. Okay, before we jump in, now is the time. Blended and Blessed, our next worldwide live stream is just two months away. It's a day of enrichment and encouragement designed just for blended family couples. You can attend from the comfort of your own home or a local church. So let me tell you about it. First of all, A, you want to get Saturday, April 24th on your calendar. Why don't you do that even as I speak? B, you want to register yourself. And C, you want to help your church host this for lots of couples. All of which you can do by going to blendedandblessed.com. And yes, you'll find that link in the show notes. It's a great event. You don't want to miss it. Please join us, blendedandblessed.com. You know, people of faith want their family to be a kingdom family, centered in God's word, rooted in truth and grace. Scott and Vanessa Martindale are the founders of Blended Kingdom Families, and they, just like us here at Family Life Blended, want to help your family be a blended kingdom family. Vanessa is a registered nurse and in graduate school studying marriage and family therapy. Scott is a licensed professional counselor who specializes in working with blended families. Uh, Together, they teach the Blending Families class at their church. And Scott and Vanessa are a blended family themselves with four sons and three golden retrievers. How cool is that? And they live in Texas. So let's talk about it. Healthy kingdom blended families. Here's my conversation with Scott and Vanessa Martindale. Scott, there are a few blessed people in the world who get to go to a great university and you and I are among them. <laughs> Wildcats. Go cats. I'm glad we get to share that. It's great having you guys with me. Blended Kingdom Families. We're going to talk in a minute about why you put kingdom in the middle of blended families. But first, before we do that, just tell us a little bit about your ministry and your activities and what you're trying to accomplish. Well, Blended Kingdom Families, um, the name actually comes from um, a vision that I had when I was in prayer time with the Lord. And he had shown me that these ashes in, in this family, this uh, this vision that I had were, were family members and blended families. And I remember seeing the name blended families and the cross of Jesus falling in between. And these families were walking across the cross. And in that moment, God said, these are blended families. And that was the navigating point from a blended family to a kingdom family. And that's where the name blended kingdom families birthed. And it led me to the life verse of blended kingdom families, which is Isaiah 61.3. And um, 
Scott found our mission verse, which was Luke one thirty seven. For nothing is impossible for God. Hey, we need to hear those verses. Do you mind? Have you got them? Can we read them? Yes, yes. Isaiah sixty one three, and it's the message version is what we love, and it says, "The Spirit of God, the Master, is on me because God anointed me. He sent me to preach the good news to the poor, heal the broken, announce freedom to all captives, pardon all prisoners. God sent me to announce the year of His grace and celebration." of God's destruction of our enemies and comfort all who mourn, to care for the needs of all who mourn in Zion, give them banquets of roses instead of ashes, messages of joy instead of news of doom, a praising heart instead of a languid spirit, rename them oaks of righteousness planted by God to display his glory. Yes, and so the mission behind Blended Kingdom Families is we want to, with God and the Holy Spirit, just be that force to break the cycle of divorce and marriages and to equip families with the truth of God's word. And it has been an amazing journey. Um, Journeying with God is just the coolest thing ever. Just so many doors have been opened. We started the podcast as well. It's kind of like a show slash podcast. Yeah, so yeah. a blended family talk show, it's it's a lot of fun. And we've had some amazing blended families come on and just share their testimony of God's redemption and restoration in their life to just give encouragement and hope to other blended families, as well as pastors and authors and speakers um, who just give encouragement and great resources for the blended family community. We also launched our project in July of this year, and it's called the Blended Kingdom Project, aka the project. <laughs> and, <laughs> and we just really felt the Lord tug at our heart to reach out to the blended family community and just meet with blended families, hear their stories, hear what they're looking for, what resources they need, what they are having, you know, difficulty with in their marriage and in their family, what things are working for them. And it has been an incredible process. We, our goal is to to interview at least 100 families. Right now we've interviewed 34. And the Holy Spirit is just really showing us so much in that and and what people are needing. Mm. Well, I'm I'm looking forward to hearing more about that project. We're gonna come back to that subject here in just a few minutes. I've had the privilege of being on your podcast or vodcast. Is that what you call it? It's, It's on YouTube. I'm not sure what you call that, but it's a video podcast and it's so well done and produced and love the energy you guys put into that. I would encourage our listeners to check it out online. Scott, you guys, so you 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 just dove into this, and it seems like the Lord's opened some doors, and it's really been quite a ride for you so far. Yeah, you know the fun part about it is is watching what God can do. Oh, I say it two ways: watching what God can do, and watching what Vanessa and her passion and our our collective passion for helping families and really shedding light on subjects that blended families struggle with and things that are not just, they're part of blended families, but also marriage issues and, you know, just relationship things that that all couples will somewhat relate to. Um, but it's been an amazing, amazing journey and we're excited to see where God's gonna take us the rest of this year and into next year. But it's been an amazing year so far. I can totally see that cross between, it's actually in your logo. People look you up online. It, it, that cross between blended and families, and that's where kingdom sits. Let's talk about that just for a minute. I mean, obviously, kingdom stuff matters, and you are ultimately trying to help people 
become part of the kingdom if they're not and walk in the kingdom if they if they are believers in Jesus Christ. Why does this kingdom stuff matter to blended families in particular? Well, I think it matters to all families. I think blended families face unique challenges that maybe your traditional family doesn't have to deal with. So blended families have their own unique historical challenges that are coming into their family. There are things about their past relationships, dealing with stepchildren, dealing with you know remarriage, that the kingdom just has to be there. Uh, it has to be there to make it successful. We've seen the stats on remarriage divorce. We've seen uh, how blended families have been broken. The kingdom in the middle is the only glue that makes it work. Um, so I, I think that's why for me, it makes so much sense. Yeah, you know, our tagline is blended families, God's redemption. And I think one thing that I've discovered in this process of, you know, speaking with other blended families is that I I feel like, Ron, blended families have a hard time believing that God and Jesus want the abundant kingdom life for them when that's exactly what he has to offer them. And the the kingdom aspect of it Without God, it's not going to work. We can read all of the blended family to-do books, all the the stepmom, stepdad blogs, but if we're not in the Word of God, and if we are not knowing what His truth is, then it's not going to work. Yeah, I completely agree with that. It's like God's Word then becomes the hub in the middle of all of life, whether it's just my work or career or friendships or, but it's absolutely in the middle of my marriage and my family. And when he is true north and our compasses are set to that, then whenever there's a moment where it's like, what do we do? Well, we always know what we can go back to. We always know that there's something in God's word that points to north and says, look, live this way, live these qualities, be this kind of person. And that's always the right answer. It may not necessarily fill in every space or gap in our life, but at least it points us in the right direction. Absolutely. Well, it's the instruction book. Yeah. And I think it's almost kind of humorous as couples go out and they're like, well, how do we do this marriage thing? How do we do this family thing? Well, there's an instruction book that tells you, and it's very specific about our relationships and our marriage and priorities, we just feel like inserting that into the blended family is the the missing connection between uh, success and failure and making sure that works. Well, it's knowing what God's truth is. And his word says in Matthew 6, 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Mm-hmm. And of course, Matthew 6 is right in the middle of 5 and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. That whole section is, you know, relational ethics, career ethics, how you approach the world and relationships. You know, it's there's so much guiding principle there. I want to back up a second because I'm with you. We've been talking for years about the redemptive nature of blended families and what God is doing within them for people that have been through and perhaps experienced hurt, pain, disappointment, discouragement, all kinds of different backstories we call them around here that led into or led up to you being in a blended family. And, you know, we serve the God of second chances. But 
a second ago, Vanessa, you said there's a lot of people who struggle with this, a lot of blended family couples who kind of think maybe it's not for them, that God doesn't want them to live the abundant life or something. Mm-hmm. We have talked around this so many times here in our ministry. Why is that the case? Why do we even have to ask the question? I got to tell you, if I have a soapbox, it's this, that mm-hmm. we even have to explain it. I, I won't mm-hmm. name it, but I've done some interviews in the past with a fairly large organization, a Christian organization. And every time we have a conversation about blended families, they start with an apology, you know, almost as if we shouldn't be talking about this. Why mm-hmm. is that even a question? Mm-hmm. I believe it's fear and fear is the prophet of hell. And I think that we live in a society that has labeled a normal family. What is normal? What what is considered normal? Normal for me was growing up in a single parent home with my mother. You know, normal for you, Ron, it, it might have been that, you know, it was you and both of your parents. And I think society has labeled, you know, blended families are broken and 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 so it's adopted, and even inside of the church as this, you're living in adultery, we can't talk about this. I think it's become, I think the church as a whole, and not just the four corners, but I think the body has adopted almost a spirit of religion where we are choosing to only discuss certain things and believe and act out certain things other than God's love, when we should be acting out of a spirit of God's love. And so when we're choosing to only talk about certain things or tiptoe and and, and walk around them, if we can't openly talk about blended families, if we can't openly love on single and young pregnant mothers, if we can't bring women into the church who have experienced post-abortion, then what are we doing? What is the church doing? And so, Again, I think it's uh, I think it's fear. Yeah, I, my thought on it is very similar. I I think when people start to think about blended families and then then they start to pair that with the church, I think in my mind where I go to is this: I think people try to associate the church with only good people and only good acts, hmm. but nobody wants to really look at the church for and and look at Christ for what what it can be, which is a place for the broken, a place to get restoration, a place to be loved, to be accepted, to be forgiven. I mean, let's just look at that. I mean, that's, that is what Christ did is so that we could be forgiven. We're not perfect people. Nobody is, whether that results in a blended family or a single mom or whatever that is. But there is a spirit of like you said, when when somebody says a blended family in the church, somehow an apology comes out or I'm sorry or something of that nature or people just don't want to address it. But I honestly think there is change and there is change coming and there is Mm -hmm. change happening. Mm -hmm. Um, I think people understand that the church is a place to go get and find healing and find love and find acceptance. Mm -hmm. And I think blended families, kind of going back to your question, is they do, they feel that shame. Mm -hmm. And they didn't, they didn't wake up with that. They they learned it. They learned it from somewhere. So they learn to be shameful of past actions. Then when they get remarried or they become a blended family, they're just associating. Yeah. They're associating that shame with that new family. And that's really what we really try to 
uh, speak on is that it, it, number one, it's not designed that way. And that's not the way Christ looks at our blended family. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. And the church shouldn't either. Yeah. Yep. And I, I think that we should all be more accepting. It's one thing to talk about, uh, does family structure make a difference in the uh, economic uh, sustainability of any particular home? Yes, there's some things connected. Does family structure make a difference in parenting? Yeah. You know, if you have two biological parents, that's different than a, a single parent home or a blended family home where there's six parents across three different households, you know, trying to, yeah, there's different levels of complexity. There's different dynamics within that. But does family structure tie to your ability, your worthiness to God <laughs> to become his child? No. Like, I just don't even understand why or how we got into that dialogue. But that narrative does seem to persist. And you're right. It translates into shame for people who struggle and think, well, I don't meet that criteria. Therefore, maybe I'm not able to receive his forgiveness. No. If you're listening right now and there's an inkling of that in you, then I just want to introduce you to grace. Yeah. <laughs> maybe you've heard of it before, but I'm not sure you really understand how deep and wide it really is. And I just want to encourage you to look again at that concept and and take a fresh take a fresh feel at how God wants to apply that to your life. Yeah. And I think, Ron, if, if you look at it just a, just a shade more common, we're associating it to blended families. But, but there's a larger reason this happens. It's, you know, the, the phrase that comes to my mind is when you're keeping up with the Joneses. Yeah. Anything that's beyond what would be looked at as the perfect Christian family, anything that's beyond that, is looked at with that kind of shame associated. That's the that's the category that we put blended families in. It's just not not quite normal enough to not be noticed. Okay, so that's the kingdom part of what you do. Let's talk a little bit about the blended part of what you guys do. Um, we're going to talk through some key talking points that you guys like to share with mm -hmm. blended families. Um, but before we do that, let's go back to that project that you guys are doing. I'm curious. So you've had some conversations already with families. You've been interviewing them. Any themes popping up? Yes. Yes. A lot of themes. <laughs> let's, let's also say we have interviewed families from all over the world. It's not just the United States. We have gone Canada, South Africa, Australia, Australia, and it has been a phenomenal experience. Yes. And I would say the first thing right off the bat that I noticed, I was just like, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to see in this right now? And it was that we have interviewed 34 couples. Mm -hmm. And out of the 34, I think 27, 28, Ron, I'm not sure the exact number, but it's 27 or 28. Their previous marriage ended because of adultery. And so the question is, why are people stepping outside of their marriage? But it's also showing us that's where the enemy is attacking. We know that the enemy is against marriage. Marriage is a reflection of who God is. He created it, but also showing where we need to equip more where we need to equip marriages more and help break, you know, that cycle of divorce or, or that, that, that spirit of lust or if it was, you know, dealing with pornography or whatever that is, helping people walk through freedom and healing and bondage. Yeah. Now, that was a common theme. 
I would say other side of it is, is we've had a lot of couples who we see a lot more struggles with children of early years, whether that's toddlers or teenagers. You know, one of the other resounding things we see is the blended families we've interviewed who have adult children now, mm-hmm. uh, they have a very different perspective. And I think that their 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 blended family has, has um, kind of gone through the war, so to speak, yeah. and kind of come yeah. out on the other side. That's been encouraging to, to watch them. Yeah, so just a quick commentary from our ministry. Those who have raised their children in their blended family and now are on the other side, that's one type of adult step family. The other type are families that come together when the children are adults, or at least most of them are. Yeah, and I got to tell you, our ministry is seeing quite an influx over the last year or two of empty nest couples essentially going, oh my goodness, we had no idea what was coming with our adult children. And so that's a whole nother category of conversation. I think one of the great things about what you guys and what we try to do is we try to speak to the the most common dynamics that are true across different types of blended family situations. But there's always so many unique factors that are at play with a family with young kids or multiple households or, you know, adult children or whatever that may be. And that's why we do podcasts, right? Because we're able to then zero in on those given topics. What else are you guys finding? We're finding that people just doing the basic things that would bring a strong foundation to a family. People are not eating at the dinner table together as a family. Couples are not reading the Bible together. They're not praying together. These are some of the questions that we have in our survey. And it's just the very basic biblical principles that some some of them just don't know. And then some are like, yeah, we, we know, but we haven't done it. And those are some of the things that we're seeing that that could strengthen the marriage so much more and the family unit so much more, but they're just not doing it. Yeah. yeah. Another theme too is, which we all know is that their church and their community, nothing that is equipping blended families or equipping the children or that they do not have a group of mm. people that they can go and confide in, a safe and healthy place. Yeah, the, the, the children, whether they're toddlers, early teen, late teen or adult, there's really very little resources that you can put in front of a child and say, hey, some of the feelings you may be having about being a blended child in a blended family, here's how you would process them, how work, how you'd work through them. Here's how to have conversations with your parents. Every couple that we've talked to has either said, yes, that would be great now. It would have been great to have it back then. We just, we know there's not enough resources for children out there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. I want to just jump in and say one of the things we do at our Summit on Step Family Ministry is bring together people who are thinking, writing, speaking, developing resources for um, step family ministries. And we have challenged ourselves to come up with more and more resources for kids. I have a little booklet called Life in a Blender, and listener will have uh, something in the show notes of how you can get a hold of that. It's designed specifically for children. And in my most recent video series, The Smart Step Family, Family, the 10th anniversary edition, we have a bonus session for kids. It's just designed for them to watch. And, and hopefully this kind of stuff engages you and them together around some of the themes. But I'll be the first to say, we need so much more uh, that is helpful to children of all ages. Absolutely. Well, and I would just, you know, take this opportunity to encourage anybody who's listening who happens to be a 
uh, a child in a step family mm-hmm. in that situation to to be involved, to get involved. Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's enough people. You know, we got a lot of parents and a lot of great people that are out there trying to educate on blended families. There may not be enough kids that are going to be able to speak directly to. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. A part of our curriculum is developing animation, cartoon characters, type of videos for kids. And so that's that's really what we know our little guys connect to. And yeah. even our teenage son, who's our blended kid, asking him, hey, what really speaks to you? What would you really gravitate to? I grew up in a blended family, blended my, I guess you could say my entire life. Yeah. But, you know, thinking of the things that I wish I would have had back then, or even just a place to go to where, you know, a young adult or a college student could just speak into me and, yeah. and, and equip and teach me some things. Yeah. Any other trends that you guys are finding at this point from your conversations with families? I think the one thing that we see is that people are ready to talk. Um, yes. We have not had a shortage of folks that, um, you know, have been engaged, they've been involved. I think, I think that's the encouraging part of, you know, obviously when you're in ministry, to see people who are encouraging of what you want to accomplish and what you want to work on. So we've seen a lot of couples who are willing to share their story, who want to help other couples. Mm -hmm. And that's been very, very encouraging as well. Absolutely. I think people just want to feel heard. And at the same time, we've had people say, my story is too messy. Like, and we've messed up too much. And we will come back and we'll say, no perfect people allowed. And you are not too far gone. It, yeah. That is the shame, isn't it? Creeping up yes. to the surface. Yeah. And here it is. I'm, I'm embarrassed. I don't want to go there. It's just too hard. It, it, sometimes people are apologetic as if we've never heard that before. <laughs> it's like, no, no, no. Yeah, imperfect people are welcome here. Vanessa, I want to drill down on something you said a minute ago. You're finding that people are struggling with some of the common, what we might call spiritual disciplines of just prayer and spending time together as a family, reading scripture together, devotional time, that sort of thing. I'm wondering, I I am the first to confess that uh, Ned and I have struggled with that for years. And I, I think Lots of people understand that it is a challenging space to step into, even for people who are happy to talk about spirituality and their emotions. And uh, you can be self-aware and still find it difficult to get into a groove where you spend time together with your spouse or kids talking about God in very intentional ways. Now, having said all of that, I'm wondering if you're finding, is there anything unique about being a blended family that gets in the way of people having those conversations? I, I know from speaking with other blended families that when you have one side of the family, so say mom, bio mom side, believers go to church, active in their faith, but then bio dad side, they're not. And we've also encountered blended families. One might be of a different religion, not atheist, non-believer, And then you have the side that's a believer. And then there's that confusion. That's where the enemy is celebrating and in that confusion. And so what is truth and what is not? And I would say that's probably one of the the big contributors, I think, to 
blended families struggling. I would also say the external factors and sometimes just the shuffling between the houses, the busyness, the chaos, all of that extra noise. Gets in the way. It gets in the way. And it can pull you from having that intentional quiet time. Yeah. Scott, let me throw one other idea at you. I think I've observed uh, situations where men who are stepdads, uh, who know what it is to be a leader because they've been going to the men's Bible study group at 6 a.m. every Wednesday morning for the last 10 years of their life, and they have a sense of that, and yet they still feel like they're walking on eggshells with their stepchildren. And so I don't know how to step into that space. Have I earned the right to be there? Uh, I could do it, but I don't know if they want me to do it. That whole uncertainty can get in the way. Yes, and and there's probably a couple of ways you can look at this, but I think there's one right way. Um, as a as the leader of your family, you know you're you're supposed to lead, and then when you look at it from, well, I have a, a stepchild, stepson, stepdaughter. Well, I'm going to lead as much as they'll allow me to lead. That's that's one way to look at it. The other way to look at it, and what I think is the right way to look at it, is the way that that God positioned you in your family. He didn't position you to quietly try to lead if accepted. You need to lead because that's the position that God put you in your family. You're saying trust the, the place that God has put you in. Absolutely. Now, you can do that and respect the bio parent. You can do both. You can absolutely do both. In fact, I would tell you it is the, it is the absolute best way to have the best relationship with the bio parent as a step parent is lead in the way that God tells you to lead. Now, in order to do that, you're going to need to stay focused and stay plugged into what God tells you to do because you can let ego get in the way really quick. Yeah. And you can let a lot of things get in the way. But I think God positions you to, to lead. And if you do that, the stepchild, whether it's stepson or stepdaughter, I think they see that over time mm. and they see that you're trying to do the right thing. And again, you can do that in and be respectful of the bio parent as well. You know, I, I want to agree with that. Um, one of the things I've learned from the past is that uh, sometimes people think being cautious about applying consequence as a step parent translates into be cautious about doing anything that involves leadership. And I agree with you that is that is not what anybody's saying or teaching. And as a matter of fact, I think when it comes to character development and faith training, I think step parents can jump in sometimes really fairly quickly, you know. Mm -hmm. If you're living it, you're walking the walk, then it's easy to just say, well, let me tell you why that is. And let's let me just share this thought with you. And let's have a conversation around what happened at school today for you. It's not you being bossy or controlling or anything. That's the stuff that kind of gets you in trouble. But when you come alongside a child and just start having conversations around godliness, I think you can have tremendous influence, just like a youth minister would or somebody at, at, you know, at, a, at, a, at a teen program that just, you know, a mentor or something. That's exactly what you're doing. Absolutely. Yeah. I think another thing too, Ron, as y'all were talking, I was thinking that a lot of times when you come into a blended family, you ha might have one spouse that's a very strong believer and the other one's kind of like you're lukewarm. And so one tries to overcompensate and be their spouse's Holy Spirit. And then by that, you're bringing in a spirit of religion into your home and you're operating out of you should do this and you should do that and you should lead this way and this and that. And I think, you know, that's where 
going into remarriage and finding a spouse. You know, the, the Bible talks about being equally yoked and finding a spouse where you have that, that commonality, you know, that firm foundation, the same morals, the same beliefs, because once you're, you've blended in the family and, and if you guys are not on the same page, I mean, that's where it's going to cause the chaos and, and confusion and dysfunction. And ultimately it bleeds down into the children and the kids. Takeaway, if you're listening right now and you're dating, you wanna be equally yoked with someone, you wanna find a partner that shares a passion for the Lord. If you're listening and you're already married and you're going, we are unequally yoked. I think the word I would give you in light of what Vanessa just said is gentleness. You know, come alongside, lead gently. Don't lead harshly or with a strong agenda or that will work against you. Okay, guys, let's talk about some of the things you just like to share with your audience. And some of these are some great talking points. Talk to me about establishing right priorities in a blended family. I think a lot of people would probably like to approach this in different ways, but there really is just one unique way to do this. When he talks about priorities, we look at it very simple. It's your relationship with Christ, it's your marriage, your children, and then work, you know, other things, things like that. But we like to keep those priorities in line of saying, making sure that your marriage is prioritized above your children, mm -hmm. making sure that your relationship with Christ is prioritized over your marriage. But it's really just about keeping those things in line in terms of, you know, where are you spending your time? Where, where is, the, you know, what's important to you? Uh, making sure that you keep your marriage and yourself healthy uh, so that your blended family can work in more cohesiveness together. Well, and anything that comes before your marriage is going to cause resentment or conflict. Because a lot of times in blended families, you're coming in, you've had an alliance to this child who's experienced a divorce. You know, you want to make sure they're good. And, and we tend to put our children above our new marriage. And what we're doing when we do that is we're putting our spouse in submission to our children. And that's not what the Word of God says. That's not what we are to do. And so, you know, the biblical priority is that whenever we do not honor God first and then love our neighbor second, which your neighbor can be your spouse, um, what it can do is it can cheat your relationship with your spouse, yeah. ultimately. Well, and, and, and let me just make it real, a little bit more applicable. Don't let your schedules get in the way, mm -hmm. uh, your children's schedules get in the way of your marriage. Uh, you know, Vanessa and I, we have, we have four, uh, and we're busy. We're very, very busy people in terms of just day-to-day -day schedule. So we, we need to make sure that we set our priority of our marriage above our schedules. So we can't get so busy that we forget to do things together or if we get to spend time together, uh, because that is where the seeds start to grow that cause so many problems. I'm wondering a couple of things. I've had people push back on that principle when I've talked about it, and they say, well, doesn't that sideline your kids? Like, you're a biological parent. They look to you. This is so important. Doesn't, doesn't that sideline them a little bit? And while you're answering that, I'm wondering if even in your own family, if there was ever a time where you, where you got a response from a child that made you think they were feeling sidelined. Yes. Yeah. And so to answer the first part of that question, 
By prioritizing your marriage, you're in no way sidelining your child. But let me tell you exactly what you are doing. Is there, there's two examples of marriage that your child should learn. Number one is from the Bible. Mm. What did they read and what did somebody tell them that the Bible said? And then the second one is what did they see their parents do? So for me, I have sons. And while it may hurt my son's feeling when I, like the other day I told, I said, my my little six-year-old said, where are you going? I said, I'm taking mommy on a date. He didn't like that. (laughs) He wanted to come. He wanted to come too. But it was important for me not to make something up so that it wouldn't upset him. It was important for me to tell him the truth at six years old to say, the priority for me right now is not anything but to take mom on a date. And that's what I'm going to do. And, and I'm glad that he learned that lesson. Uh, and I hope that he continues to see that lesson week in, week out, year in, year out. I want him to understand that that's what marriage is. And that's no way sidelining your children. It is, it is teaching them what marriage is supposed to be. Yeah. Es- and that's good. Especially when you're, you know, in the course of life, you also spend time with your kids. And I, I've often sure. wondered when people say, you know, well, doesn't that mean your kids are being abandoned by you or you're pushing them aside? Well, not 24-7, but on Friday night, date night, yes, they are. But Saturday morning, we're having breakfast and dad and six-year-old are having a ball. And like, there's so many other moments of life where there's balance to how we spend our time. But there are moments where it's, it's clear that prioritizing that relationship, that marriage relationship, is, is important and where you're communicating a good message to your children about the importance of marriage when you do that. And I think we have to remember, our children are going to grow up and leave the house, and they are going to get married one day. They're going to have their own children, and we're, we're going to be grandparents. That's right. <laughs> You're going to be empty nesters. And <laughs> we're going to be empty nesters. And if we have not nurtured and done things along the way to help grow our marriage and strengthen our marriage— you know, that's where, especially all counselors here, I'm a future therapist, mm-hmm. but you and Scott are both both therapists. People come into counseling and it's way late yeah. because they have not nurtured and done the things to help strengthen their marriage, but they've put all the emphasis on their children and put their children yeah. above their marriage. You know, when you're riding a bicycle and you're cruising at 15 miles an hour down a long hill, All you got to do is just kick it a little bit and you're just going to keep on going. You don't have to work hard to keep your momentum up. But if you're starting on a flat, it takes a whole lot more work, doesn't it? Right. So you get your marriage momentum going. Just keep it going and let it stop and die. Is good. means you've really got to work and restarting it again. Well, and and again, for anybody who's listening and— they're in that marriage and they may not think that they're putting the priority. Uh, I know Vanessa and I talk about this uh, in our podcast and I know it's probably a, a theory that you subscribe to is, you know, we do check-ins with our, our own counselor, you know, having a marriage therapist, we may not have any big problems. We may have a big problem. I, you know, it just depends, but we, we have somebody we can call and we can go to and we try to do check-ins with them just to make sure that our, that we're not starting from zero. Absolutely. Absolutely. Nan and I do that. We have done that so many times in our life. We have friends that will speak into our situation and we bounce the realities of our life off. Everybody needs that. Okay. Tell me about this one. What is an unhealthy inner vow and what do you do about it? So an unhealthy inner vow, that's one of the things that I love to teach on, Ron. Inner vows are promises that we make to ourselves 
in in times of difficulty, turmoil, or pain. Prime example, and I'll just be a little transparent here. I remember in my own walk, after I went through my divorce, I remember clearly saying, I will never do that again. I will never get married again. And I remember it was about three years later, I was in church and one of the pastors there approached me. We started having a conversation, talking a little bit about my past and what I had gone through. And she said, Vanessa, I feel like the Lord wants you to start praying for your husband. And I was like, I'm sorry, you want me to what? No. Because <laughs> I'm never doing that again. I'm never doing that again. And so in her vows, I wish, what I, I wish the listener could have seen what I just saw right now. She put her finger up and waved it back and forth. That was a clear statement. All right, keep going. Well, and so in her vows, if you're, it's an I never, I'm never going to do this. They did this to me. That's never going to happen. And what we do is we can make promises to ourselves in order to keep from getting hurt again. But ultimately, in her vows, prevent us from receiving the future blessings that God has for us. Because when I started praying for my spouse six years later, came this awesome guy sitting right here next to me and God has blessed our marriage and he is redeemed and restored the year of the locust, like everything that was lost. And it's absolutely amazing. But when we make those inner vows, instead of God being our protection and our defense mechanism, we are. So they make us the God over the area of our life. That's what inner vows do. And it creates a lack of trust between us and the Father. And that's the enemy right there. You know, the picture I had in my mind as you were talking is a freeze frame. You know, you've just freeze framed your life. I can never do this. I will never do that. That this thing, whatever that little promise I've made to myself is really now my idol and it's going to dictate how I walk through life. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think from a guy's perspective, growing up, I, I remember a lot of my guy friends making inner vows to themselves of saying, I will never date a single mom. I will never be a father to somebody else's child. Again, these are all things that you have no idea what God's going to do for your life. You have no idea what blessing can come. But if you are automatically turning yourself off, and it's a, inner vows are strong. We think it's protecting ourselves, but what really what it's doing is it's limiting what you're going to experience. So what do we do about these? So one, I always encourage people, ask the Holy Spirit, is there anything in my life? Is there any place, any area in my heart or in my life that I am harboring an inner vow? Ask him to the, re reveal those things to you and he will. And then you just start repenting and rebuking and replacing those lies with the word of God, with his truth. It allows us to also become humble and teachable. Inner vows can cause us to become irrational and unteachable. And in order to be future leaders and for us to be the best wife and the best husband that, that we can be, we have to be teachable, we have to be humble. The word of God says that God gives favor and grace to the humble, but opposes the proud and inner vows Again, it's that control factor. Control is pride. And in the book of Proverbs, it talks about how pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Yes, it does, because it sets us up and it closes us off and pride blinds us to ourselves. That That is all very, very true. Okay, let me push you on this a little bit. I'm wondering what kind of unhealthy vows people make about their former spouse that then impacts their co-parenting 
cooperation between homes. And I'll start with one that I've seen and worked with couples on. And it's the, I'm never going to let you hurt me again. And so that inner promise means I have to be 100% completely on guard and in charge and in control of any interaction that we have as co-parents, which means I'm probably not diplomatic. (laughs) I'm probably not flexible. I'm not actually interested in your preferences. I'm just going to tell you my, you know, it sets a tone for the relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think the one that I see most often that is probably the hardest to admit is I think spouses, when they divorce, they make an inner vow that basically says that because I couldn't make you happy, I don't want you to be happy. Mm. Wow. Because if you break that down, Ron, when we look at the human behaviors that God enables us to do, to create happiness in other people. And you ask yourself, why am I not able to do that to my ex-spouse? Just really like, am I not able to be polite? Am I not able to speak blessings in their life? Am I not able, as we talk about, to pray for my ex-spouse? Is the core meaning and root is that, do you not want them to be happy? Hmm. And is that a vow you've made to yourself? And I I think I see that more with the issues that have gone on with blended families more than anything. And really that I think wraps around resentment and pain from the past and I'm holding that against you. Mm -hmm. And so I may have forgiven you, but maybe not completely forgiven you, or at least I'm never going to trust you. I may have forgiven you, but I'm never going to trust you. Yeah. And, and if I don't want good things for you, what is, I mean, follow this for the listener. I just want you to follow this. If you're wishing poor things for your former spouse and their life, mm-hmm. then you are wishing those things on your children mm-hmm. because they're going to be exposed to them. They're going to be influenced by those difficulties. And in some way, it's going to flow down on your kids. Of course, you don't want that. Yeah. I think it's deception, Ron. As someone who has walked through divorce, I remember thinking that if it didn't work for you and I, what? why would it work for anyone else? Why would it work for you again? Why would it work for me again? And if anyone who's listening is thinking that their ex-spouse is the devil. Because I think that's what we do. We tend to demonize (laughs) Mm -hmm. our Mm ex-spouse. And if that's what you believe, and if you believe that they are the problem, if you believe that they are ultimately the one thing in your life that is causing you turmoil, then you've already been deceived by the deceiver. Because scripture says that we, we don't fight against flesh but against the principalities and darkness and the evil that is out there. So I think we have to remember, it's not the physical that we are wrestling with, it's the spiritual. Behind the physical is the spiritual. And so just because it didn't work out with between you two doesn't mean that God can't restore and redeem that relationship and make it good for your children and, and to have an amazing co-parenting relationship. I'll be very transparent, that's what we walked through. And I will tell you, we were 
when you talk about, you know, 40 years in the wilderness, we were 12 years in it, 12 years in it. But out of that birthed the miracle of this great co-parenting relationship that we now have. And our son is thriving because of that, because I had to get in full submission to the Lord and say, God, what is your will? And he said, I want you to love them and see them the way that I do. Okay, so if there was one thing you've learned from that wilderness Mm -hmm. that you would pass on to our listener today, what would that be? You've been listening to my conversation with Scott and Vanessa Martindale. I'm Ron Deal, and this is Family Life Blended. We'll hear one of their takeaways from their wilderness experience in just a moment. But I'm wondering what your takeaways are. And I'm wondering if you've ever shared them with anyone, even your kids. No, we shouldn't share every hard lesson with our kids, but we should share many of them. You see, I don't know about you, but my pride doesn't want me to admit mistakes to my kids. Lessons learned from the past, that's hard to talk about with our children sometimes. But that's exactly why we should share things like that with them, or at least with somebody else. Sharing is an act of humility, and the lesson becomes more real when we share it with someone else. In the case of our children, they get the benefit of learning from our mistakes and seeing us manage our pride. When we share with others in a study group, for example, they can be encouraged by what we've learned in the wilderness, and sometimes they're challenged, and the kingdom grows. Look, you don't have to have a seminary degree to help other people. Just share a good takeaway from your wilderness experience and watch what happens. If you'd like some more information about my guests, you'll find it in the show notes, or you can check it out at the Family Life Blended podcast page at familylife.com slash blended podcast. And while you're there, check out everything Family Life has for your marriage and family. We are an international organization providing practical marriage and family help for your life and for those that you care about. Our division, called Family Life Blended, has the largest collection of articles, videos, resources, books, and of course, podcasts for blended families in the world. By the way, we're about to put on a worldwide one-day live stream enrichment event for step couples called Blended and Blessed. The live stream is Saturday, April 24th. This year's theme is Walk in Love, and it'll include many dynamic speakers and learning opportunities. You can join us online from anywhere in the world. And here's the cool part. Churches can host an in-person or a virtual event and bring together a group of couples to learn together in a learning community. Just go to blendedandblessed.com to learn all about that and how you register. That's blendedandblessed.com. Hey, would you take five seconds and rate this podcast? Maybe even write a review. One person wrote this on Apple Podcasts, and they gave us five stars, by the way. They said, I am thankful to have found this podcast. I often feel like I'm the only one struggling with my thoughts and abilities to make a blended family work. Every episode has given me a sense of community and hope that we can get through the struggles of blending our lives. Thank you, the person said. Well, thank you for taking the time to write that review. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Just search Family Life Blended. You can also listen on YouTube if you would prefer. And remember to look at the show notes for links to additional resources. 
Now let's get back to Scott and Vanessa and their takeaways from their wilderness experience. I would say that if you are in a wilderness season, you guys, God is promising to walk with you through it. Because in the wilderness season, in the fire, that's where the refinement comes. If you think about metal and jewelry, it's in the fire for a certain period of time and it's pulling out all the impurities. It's pulling out all the bad stuff. And that's so that it can get to its purest form. And in the fire is where the miracle happens. I'm sorry, I'm getting emotional. And I promise you, that's what will birth just the redemption and the, the new relationship. So if you're listening, I just want to encourage you. Opposition is not, the, it's not your enemy. It can actually be your friend. And when we can posture ourselves in those certain situations and say, okay, God, what is the lesson in this? And it may be that there needs to be a refining in your own heart. But whenever we can humble ourselves and say, God, your will and not mine and surrender, then that's when He can come in and do His best work and work in and through you the way that He's intended to, to bless you ultimately. Next time, we're going to hear from counselor and parenting author Danny Huerta about parenting kids who are really struggling. I remember this one phone call, Ron, that we got in the counseling department. This mom called. She was screaming, I'm going to hurt my kids. I feel like beating them. I'm alone, I'm afraid. She said, I can't do this anymore. You might not feel like you're in that extreme of a situation, but sometimes parenting is just really hard. Join us for our next episode with Danny Huerta on Family Life Blended. I'm Ron Deal. I appreciate you listening. And thanks to our Family Life Legacy Partners for making this podcast possible. To help us produce this podcast and other resources, you can make a tax-deductible donation specifically for Family Life Blended by going to familylife.com slash blendedpodcast and clicking the donate button. Or if you'd prefer, you can always call us 1-800-FL-TODAY and tell them your gift is for Family Life Blended. Our chief audio engineer is Keith Lynch, Bruce Goff, our producer, our mastering engineer is Justin Adams, project coordinator Ann and Caro, and theme music provided by Braden Deal. Family Life Blended is produced by Family Life and is part of the Family Life Podcast Network.